This week's episode of the Hot Four podcast is proudly sponsored by Lalaman Brewing. Lalaman Brewing, a division of Lalaman Inc., a global producer of yeast and bacteria, is helping brewers achieve their growth and quality goals by offering products, services, and education. Lalaman Brewing's premium brewing yeast and bacteria deliver unmatched consistency, reliability, and purity, allowing brewers to take full control of the brewing process. At the forefront of innovation, Lalaman Brewing recently launched several dry yeast products, Lal Brew Voss, Wild Brew Philly Sour, and Lal Brew Verdant IPA. I personally use Lalaman yeast when brewing Emmanuel's and have been over the moon with their Verdant IPA yeast, not just in IPAs, but also in ESBs and a variety of other beers. It gives a lovely distinct flavour, attenuates well, and is just excellent to brew with. So for more information about Lalaman's products in the UK, please contact the local representative, Andrew Patterson. Global contact details for the UK and other territories can be found via their website, lalaman.com. That's lalaman.com. Today's show is also sponsored by Chris Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ryborough in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilo sacks for craft brewers and distillers around the world. Check out their website for more information for their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at crispmalt.com. That's crispmalt.com. Com. I'm Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hop Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer, and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Hello, my name's Sam. I'm the co-founder and MD of Gypsy Hill Brewing. Earlier this year, I was made aware of statements regarding our company culture from past employees. Before responding quickly, I wanted to make sure we had thoroughly explored our issues and ensure the action and change we implemented had the well-being and happiness of our team at its core. So I listened. I listened to our team and I listened to those who are amplifying marginalised voices. I am accountable for fostering an environment where those voices were not heard. I have realised that seeing things as I believe them to be versus how they are was wrong, privileged and ultimately foolhardy. Before outlining the steps we have made, I want to apologise to those who have worked here whose experience did not align with the values and practices I strive to set at Gypsy Hill. We're an employee-owned company that's doing its best to train, develop, and ultimately be a springboard for people to go on and do amazing things as they go through their careers. To anyone that has had anything less than an amazing journey working with us, please know that I am striving to do better. I also believe that behind the scenes, action is no longer enough. To create a more diverse, fair, and inclusive beer community, we must also be transparent, open, and honest about our actions. So what did we do? When allegations surfaced earlier this year, I reached out to all parties who had made a statement and invited them to report their experience and pay them for their time anonymously to a third-party consultant. We circulated anonymous surveys to all team members to get a sense of the current state of our culture, policies, leadership, alignment, equality, diversity, inclusion and engagement. 
About half our team met with an external HR auditor to discuss and review the same in detail. This resulted in a series of recommendations for us to improve, including clarifying our internal processes, improving our internal communications, and training our senior and middle managers in everything from awareness to capacity building so they can better support the mission and values of the company and ensure our workplace is improving how equitable, diverse, inclusionary, engaged, and misogyny-free it is. We also founded an employee council to act as a manager-free place for a representative and rotating group of employees to meet monthly and collate the voice of our wider employees and feed it straight back into leadership meetings, which a rep attends once a month. There are lots more parts to this, but as a whole, it's exciting to be on the journey of improvement. More than anything, what this has taught me is that leadership with humility, listening with intent, clear and transparent management, an open, aware mind and good internal communication is key to a thriving, happy, motivated and engaging workplace. Thank you for your time, your patience, your help and support. I look forward to continue sharing our journey with you. Cheers, Sam. If the last 20 years of employment have taught me anything, it's that good communication and people skills are paramount to the welfare, happiness, productivity and engagement from employees to a company. Many of you won't be surprised to hear that the antithesis to an employer of integrity, approachability and humility is one who has the unfettered ability to cause anxiety, harm, mental unwellness and the like to those on the receiving end. That's why I was heartened to see the statement from Gypsy Hill co-founder Sam McMeekin recently, which I just read out. More on that specifically in a moment, and at length in my discussion with Sam in a short while. But before we go into all that, where do you begin to unpack workplace culture, especially negative ones, and the impact it has on our lives, especially if you're an employee in an industry that isn't unionised or that hasn't got any specific accountability structures? Even then, from my own personal experience of working in a particular organisation with an accountability structure, holding toxic employers, leaders, bosses and the like to account as an employee is not easy. I remember once taking a manager aside for a designer clothes shop I used to work for in my early 20s and trying to show him the impact of his actions, belittling staff, unbridled anger and just general wankery and how it was affecting both myself and my fellow colleagues on the shop floor. Again, in another meeting with another employer, during my first week, the staff met together to point out some hard truths to the team leader about his conduct. In both instances, I and we were told that we were the ones with the problem. We needed to sort ourselves out and to just, quote unquote, get over it. Some of you might be thinking, wow, right about now. But pervasive attitudes like this were the norm and still are for many people in the workplace until pretty recently. The political rise of characters such as Donald Trump, Boris Johnson and celebrities such as Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, YouTuber Shane Dawson and megachurch pastor Mark Driscoll have shown us in recent times that racist, sexist, bullying, misogynistic, homophobic toxicity and the cultures they foster won't be tolerated and will be called out on social media, often the only realm where victims have a public voice. However, don't cancel me for saying this, it's not always that clear cut. The clothes shop manager and the team leader I mentioned earlier aren't bad people. 
They both, by their actions, have caused psychological harm to me as an individual. And in one instance, I had several rounds of counselling to deal with it. But to completely demonise them and write them off altogether, for me, in my opinion, could be cited as being as equally extreme in my behaviour through my own anger, hurt, betrayal and bitterness, all of which are equally toxic, at least to me, if no one else. And you might say, well, it's justified. And yeah, maybe it is justified. But after all, try as I might, the only person I can truly change is myself, not somebody else. So should we not call people out then, especially those in power that have wronged us? Yeah, we totally should call them out. And what is if they've committed a crime? Should we not go to the police? Yeah, you should totally go to the police. But what if, as in one of my experiences, I was just young and highly sensitive? It's easy to tell the difference between inappropriate sexual behaviour and not, but gaslighting, banter, fast-paced work culture, not so much. Humans are complex creatures and every situation is different. Coming back to the statement I read aloud with Sam from Gypsy Hill, I was really heartened to read this. Not because someone had called them out and they had to respond not to lose face, friends in the world of beer, customers, and most importantly, the sacred cow, sales income. But because they took the time, Sam in particular as the owner and culture setter, to look at themselves long and hard in the mirror and humbly ask, some brutally honest questions, and then to take positive, affirmative action. And most of all, to own up to their own wrongs, or perceived wrongs even, apologise and make amends. After all, as Sam points out in this podcast, if somebody feels bullied, then they're being bullied. Wouldn't it be great if some of the most powerful people in our country were to do the same? This wasn't an easy topic to cover this week for myself or Sam. I didn't queue up a bunch of questions and for the most part, I in particular struggled to put the right words to my thoughts and opinions. I guess this is because I wasn't wanting to offend anybody. But if I'm honest, I do have opinions and sometimes I do offend people. I don't always agree with the left liberal as much as I don't agree with the conservative right. I like to think life's a spectrum of many colours and we need a dash of all of them to paint a beautiful picture and make some beautiful beers. Do I agree with either extreme? No. Are there some things on the right that I agree with more than the left? In some instances, yes. Are there things on the left I agree with more than the right? Definitely yes. I have my own political leanings. I have my own personal agendas. Like I say, it's all, it's complicated. We are complicated. But I guess, ultimately, the heart behind what I'm trying to do today in this week's episode of the Hot 4 Podcast is this. I guess I'm saying this. Do unto others, or even brew unto others, as you would have them do unto you. And that perfectly summarises my view. But don't always hold me to that, because sometimes I can be a dick to people. And the reality is, so can you. I'd like to take a moment to tell you a little bit more about Hot Forward and our good supplier sponsors who make this show possible on a weekly basis before we hop into today's episode with Sam McMeekin from Gypsy Hill Brewery talking about workplace culture and the journey he's taken over the last few years.
Over the next few weeks, we've partnered with one of our sponsors, Lalaman Brewing, to bring you a little featurette on their various yeast strains, looking at each one and what role they can play in your beers, delivering the flavours and aromas that people want to drink. I'm joined again this week by Andrew Patson from Lalaman Brewing. How's it going, mate? Yeah, very well, very well. Good, nearly Christmas now. Nearly Christmas, I've got my advent calendar up there. Oh, I can see. Oh, Tony, Tony's chocolate, yeah. that's a surprise for my wife. Oh, happy, <laughs> happy days. have to keep up there with my daughters. Yeah, days. yeah, well, um, we, I had to um, go for a run the other night because um, my eldest daughter was kicking off because um, everyone else had their Christmas tree up, but we didn't. Uh, and it's kind of like, you know, my wife's in bed with COVID and I've been like bus, bus, busting silly hours, you know, so it's kind of like... Um, yeah, there's a reason the Christmas tree's not up yet. But can you Amazon Prime a Christmas tree? Ah, uh, well, that's that's the question, isn't it? Can you? Would I want to though? That's the that's the other. That's no, you probably would want question, to, but though. I reckon you might be able to. <laughs> I, I bet you can. Anyway, so um, yeah, last week looks at uh, the new uh, farmhouse um, strain, uh, but this week I was very interested to talk about the uh, Verdant IPA strain. So can you give us a little bit yeah. of background about that yeast strain? Yeah, so it's a. Uh, I mean, it's predominantly designed for kind of your hazy IPAs, um, but we produced it uh, in conjunction with the Verdant Brewery down in Cornwall. Mm. Um, so they came to us and they said, "We've got this strain. We really like it. Do you think you can grow it? And do you think you can dry it?" And, and we said, "Well, I don't know. Really, give us some. We'll try." Um, and uh, good news for us, it dries and it grows really, really well. So um, it's been a great success story for us. Um, I think that's probably been on the market now for about a year and a half. Maybe maybe not even quite that long, um, but it, it's quickly becoming the kind of the go-to strain for for hazy IPAs out there. Oh yeah, um, I've 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 been using it. I I think it's great. I have to say that like, I really like that some of the beers that people do with dark beers with it. It forms really really well. Um, some of the development work we did it when we first launched it. We worked with Unity down in Southampton. Yep, and they did a stout. And it was, oh, top notch! Like the the kind of the fruity acidity you get from it. It's brilliant in the dark beer. Yeah. I was quite intrigued actually to ask. Um, I noticed when I opened the pack that the, um, the the little yeast granules, if that's the right word for it, um, they're, they're slightly different colours, like from one another. It's yeah, like one that's I mean, a darker brown and one that's lighter. And I was, and I remember so, someone asking whether it was just a combination of um, Windsor and London ESB. But obviously, you've you've said it's verdant, it's actual strain that's been. You know, yeah, yeah, it's a pure strain. So we, we don't actually do any blended strains. It's quite. It's quite tricky to do a blended strain because you have to you know, produce the dried yeast and then you'd have to mix them together mm. and you'd have to make sure it was like consistently mixed. So that'd be quite hard. Um, so no, the, the, if there's a colour variation, it tends to be um, the raw materials used for creating the yeast. So um, for those that don't know, yeast is grown on molasses. Um, molasses is a byproduct of sugar production and it does tend to vary somewhat in its, its coloration. Um, so if you've got one pack that's a slightly different shade to the other, that's probably why. Oh, I didn't know um, that. We do do a double washing step. So right. We wash it twice with water to remove some of the colour, um, but you still will see like a little bit of a, a gradient sometimes. Yeah, oh, look at that. I was that's that's quite interesting. I didn't know that, that how you grew dry yeast. Um, so yeah, I mean with the strain, obviously you've talked about the the, the fruity estuarine sort of flavours you get from it, and um, you know it's it's seems to be pretty good at you can you can mash in a bit higher and still get reasonably low finishing gravity um, but i was i'm actually quite interested to chat about biotransformation using the ski strain because um i i've just 
brewed a double IPA and I put the hops in right at the start of fermentation. And so far, when I can actually get the beer out of tank because it's getting clogged up, um, the, the aroma and the smell is just incredible. Um, so I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, biotransformation and the Verdant IPA strain and how those two work together. Sure, yeah. And we, we actually have a document on this because it's something that we've been looking at quite a lot of detail over the last few years. Um, but this, there's basically two types of biotransformation. Um, again, that's probably oversimplifying it. There's probably loads of types of biotransformation, mm. but there's two that are kind of focused on really. Um, and they have beta-glucosidase activity, which is where you um, you cleave a beta glycoside and you release a volatile, um, what's it called? Uh, Aromatic terpene, there we go, I remembered. <laughs> you release a volatile terpene, so usually things like linalool, um, and that's your beta-glucosidase activity. On the other side, you have a beta-lyase activity, um, which is another type of biotransformation, which is where you're releasing kind of volatile sulfur molecules into uh, the wort, which you'd normally bang within the hops. And we've characterized all our strains for their levels of beta-glucosidase and beta-lyase activity. And what you find is that verdant has a very high level of beta-lyase activity. So these are kind of chemicals that taste kind of, I don't know, like dark fruits, kind of like um, Sauvignon Blanc, that sort of thing. Mm. So um, quite common in your New Zealand hops. Yep. Um, and this enzyme will release more of those flavors into into the beer. And, and what you find is verdant is actually very high in, in that type of uh, biotransformation. Ah, that's interesting. So it, it's very good at that. Yeah. Awesome. Brill. Well, I mean, one question before I ask how people can get hold of it is now, obviously, it's out there and it's come from Verdant's Brewery. Have they started using it or are they just repeating their regular house yeast? No, no, they, they use it. That was part of the deal. Yeah. Oh, amazing. They, 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 they get it off us, yeah. So that must make yeah. life so much easier for them. They've had this house yeast drain that they've had to, you know, acid wash and all the rest of it. And now they can just pitch dried yeast. Yeah, well, I think I think they probably still use for like a few generations. But right. you can do that. Right. Um, so I don't, think they're, I don't think they're throwing dry in every time. But um, certainly, yeah, no, they don't have to get it like cropped up or anything. They can just get dried from us. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Because I always read that you're not supposed to reuse dry yeast. No, it is a common misconception. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, it's perfectly fine to, to repitch. I, uh, I know people that go six generations with dried yeast and uh, it's just a nice way of um, starting out fermentation. You don't need to buy a fresh crop in and you can go seven generations quite easily. Yeah. Happy days, Brill. Well, how can people yeah. get hold of Verdant IPA? So, and I've learned from our previous recording that I've remembered we've got a list of distributors on our website. So if you go <laughs> to our website uh, and you choose your country, you can find out the distributors in the countries that we operate. Fantastic. Additional support this week comes from SSV Limited. High quality tanks, parts and brewing kits coupled up with their knowledge and experience ensures your project runs smoothly from beginning to completion. SSV Limited want to say thank you to all our customers who've supported us over the last year. Don't forget to check the web shop if you need any essential brewing spares over the festive period at ssvlimited.co.uk. And of course, from all the team here at SSV Limited, wishing you a very Merry Christmas. Now, back to the show. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Sam Meakin from Gypsy Hill Brewing Co. in London. Hello. Hello, Nick. How's it going? Good, good, thanks. Yeah, yeah, did, thanks for having me. Good, yeah, no worries. Do you like my little London thing? Dick Van Dyke and all that. <laughs> yeah, perfect. You nailed it. I have. I've been going a bit stir-crazy today. I've, I've been brewing um, a Christmas beer and it's had a load of um, honey and golden syrup and molasses in. And I've been singing a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go just to myself all day. <laughs> so, um, yeah, 
you're the first. Nice. Where was that? Home brew or in someone's Well, place it's, or... um, I, my brewery's in my cellar, so it's like a one-barrel setup. Um, nice. So it's, it is a com- little commercial setup, but it's, it's a pretty nifty setup. Um, oh, that's great. So I'm doing it for a beer and carols event that's coming up on the 12th of December. Oh, brilliant. Um, so yeah, it was a big beer. The starting gravity is 10, 10.95. So yeah, it's going to be a spi- nice. spice barley wine. So yeah, just kind of hoping brilliant. I don't, the last time I did it, um, I got, this is when I was at the Sheffield Brewery Company and I, I also used to brew my beers out there on, on this little kit. I, I rocked up at the brewery one, one morning, the day after I pitched for yeast and it had just all foamed out of the fermenter. So I'm kind of hoping that doesn't happen in my cellar. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, we've definitely had some beers that have stalled out when when they've had vigorous ferments. It's, yeah. It's not, a, it's not a good thing when all the yeast craps out the top. Yeah, totally. Brilliant. Well, w- welcome to the show, Sam. Firstly, can you tell us a bit about yourself and a bit about Gypsy Hill as a brewery and as a business? Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I'm, a, I'm a, a dad of four these days. <laughs> Which is, which is great. All four of those have come since we've really started Gypsy Hill. So, oh wow! Like it's been like it's it's it's. I'm not sure it's it's not funny per se, but like the whole theme of sort of family and Gypsy Hill has been quite intertwined, mm. at least for me and also for my business partner who's got three kids, all of which basically have come through the Gypsy Hill. You're right. Seven seven years too. Um, but that's that has actually shaped how the how the company has evolved a lot as well. Um, you know, uh, it, I think we're good. Um, you know, there's always a, a bad side of things too, like um, like that crazy obsessed entrepreneur, you know, head brewer, sort of leader who's ever present, ever online, etc. Like honestly, it hasn't really been us um, mm. because I we have we have strong like heavy family commitments, and that's created always, or at least I've hoped it's it's created some balance um and, and how we've we've had to do things um I've, I've had to and wanted to look after the staff that, that that have joined us um because uh you know i am i am i have balance in my life through through my family and so i i expect you know just the same from them you know not not more um i can't ask for more from them than, than what we do so it's been a it's been a lovely thing and it keeps you really grounded mm. as you grow this a business which is a a, a roller coaster ride uh, to go on <laughs> yeah but, but outside of family i'm a um, 38 year old uh, guy and my my previous this is sort of my second career i guess because my previous life was was working in um, private equity investing in sub-saharan africa um, as you so do I, <laughs> <laughs> so i used to live in senegal and in, in the western part of africa the most westerly part of africa um and uh just for a, a year or so i was there working for an ngo um and uh i i love that and i i came back to london to do uh, a graduate degree and then worked in uh, further investing in in other sub-saharan african countries um but from london uh and it was really two years of that experience that sort of almost pushed me out in a way um it was a great experience but mixed in terms of good and bad things that happened as well and mm. i really it really cemented in me the desire to want to be my own boss and to do my own thing um and after thinking and and talking a lot with a lot of people who you know respect uh, i ended up wanting to pursue uh, brewing and um and i met my business partner charlie who was doing the same thing we have a very strong friend in common and when we both basically went to him talking the same thing he's like 
you guys, you guys need to get together uh, and have a chat. Um, and so we did over uh, some kernel export stout at the rake in 2013, um, the rake in Borough Market for the, the non-Londoners. And, um, and that's really where the seed of Gypsy Hill was kind of born. Great. And can you tell me a little bit about Gypsy Hill? I mean, obviously, I would presume you're based in Gypsy Hill, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and, but it wasn't, it wasn't a slam dunk just calling it Gypsy Hill Brewery, actually. We went round and about a fair bit. Um, the brewery, actually, if you really dig into Company's House, you'll see that it was originally called Cold Harbor Brewing Company. Because okay. it was uh, my, my business partner used to work in, um, or live, sorry, in, in Brixton. And, um, and so the idea was that, we were gonna, that he was going to get a unit right off Cold Harbor Lane, which is in the heart of Brixton, call it that. Um, but then he ended up moving to Crystal Palace and it was in Gypsy Hill. And I sort of came in right around that time, like just that the, the unit had been leased and the equipment had been put on order. Um, and that was that was about it. And so we, were, we talked about the name a lot, like what is, we should change it from Cold Harbor because obviously we're not in Cold yeah. Harbor Lane anymore. And that, that's just disingenuous. Uh, so, so yeah, we went round and about, tried a few things, talked to some people, did, we did some Facebook polls, stuff like that. Um, and ended up with, with Gypsy Hill Brewing Company. Awesome. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So how, how big is the brewery? What kind of setup have you got there? Yeah. So it's been, it's a really, it's, it's a fun industrial state that we're in. There, there's 11, uh, 11 and a half industrial units all in one sort of little zone. Uh, and we started off just with one. And there was a flooring company, an e-commerce skin makeup company, uh, an ingredients factory, uh, which makes like compots and hummuses and curry paste and things like that, a street food company, a framers, um, a two cake making companies, and one other brewery. And um, that was all back in 2013 when we first signed our lease. Over the years, like the rates and the rents have gone up and up and up and up. And like these small holding companies have basically ended up moving out. And easy for them because a lot of them were just warehouses or sort of just like homes for, for storage or something. For us, we obviously didn't have the option for that. All, all we could really do was grow and, and, and try to, you know, become more efficient and scale mm. and that kind of stuff. So we ended up taking, you know, unit after unit after unit. Um, so we now have, uh, we're about to take on our seventh unit out of the 11 right. that, that's down there um and uh and yeah so that's that's how we've that's how we've grown um the last two years have been pretty tricky for growth but we uh we i think we grew about five percent in 2020 um we grew about 10 percent on top of that in 20 this year is what we'll do um uh which is all a bit slower than we've done in the previous year so um we should do about twelve and a half thousand hectoliters this year and then next year we're looking more like uh, eighteen, or at least that's the plan. Yeah. Um, obviously, it remains to be seen about COVID and consumers feeling happy and, and and confident about going back to the pub and all that kind of thing. But but that's the that's the idea. Awesome, brilliant. Um, I guess there's two topics I wanted to tackle today. Firstly. It'd be great to chat about um, what you were saying about families because um, I've just had some reflections recently. Uh, working in the world of beer, but both from my own experience of working in a brewery with when my kids were a little bit smaller and um, my oldest has just started senior school, so she's a bit more independent now. Um, but, you know, thinking about the, the challenges of having a young family whilst running a brewery or being a brewer. Um, so I'd love to explore that. And then I'd love to 
uh, talk a little bit about um, workplace culture and a, and a statement you put out. So um, maybe I'll leave it up to you which one of those you want to tackle first. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I'm, I, I, I don't really mind. I guess the uh, maybe workplace culture at the, at the end because pulling back from that into, into family. Yeah, is, fair enough. Okay. Is, is a better flow? I don't know. Yeah, no, no, no. That's, that's, that's cool. But, um, okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, the... the main thing I kind of wanted to bring up today was um, a bit about how business owners can navigate the rocky waters of workplace culture, especially when things come to light or attention's drawn to either unhealthy things that have happened or how employees feel about the business or at worst, how we've seen recently with breweries such as McKellar, some of the ways that, uh, you know, those situations have been handled really badly and what you think some of the right ways to go about it are. So and I guess the reason... I, I approached you was because I saw on Instagram um, that you'd put a statement out, um, which I won't read in full now, but um, listeners to the show is if, if you kind of skip the intro bit, go back and I'll have read it then. Um, but I just, I just wondered if, if you could, without getting into specifics, whether you could just give us a little bit of um, some of your thoughts as to what, what, why you wrote that how you processed writing that and just take us through that journey. Um, because again, as we've seen with some other breweries, when um, some of the allegations were coming out with about sexual harassment and um, Siobhan Buchanan and Charlotte Cook were highlighting those, um, some breweries either just kind of didn't say anything or went completely silent or they were had a knee-jerk reaction and it didn't do them any favours. So obviously your response has been quite measured. So I'm just going to kind of hand it over to you. I'd just be really interested to hear um, about that process and and what led you to that point. Well, look, I mean, I guess I'll start by just saying, like, there's almost nothing more important than workplace culture. Workplace culture defines your the quality of the, of the customer service you can provide, the products you're making, uh, you know, of the motivation and drive of the of everyone in the company um so you know if it's negative uh you're gonna suffer <clears throat> um and and if it's positive uh then you're gonna it's gonna like exponentially show itself so it's it's really really important um and <clears throat> it is it is something that has been uh probably neglected um or at least in the round and certainly from a from a gender and, and, and race perspective, it's been it's been neglected in, in the UK, and it seems more broadly than that too. Um, so, uh, so it's <clears throat> it is something that is needs to have a lot more time spent on it by leaders uh, of of companies. I mean, our own journey uh, has been one that's been yeah, it's it, it's been the toughest year um, by far for for me in terms of reflecting and realizing. Um, what has happened and what uh, I have allowed to happen, you know, under my watch. Um, and uh, really, if I was to not go on a sort of 15 minute uh, monologue right now, but actually just try and summarize it, like the statement that I made was really because I, I felt that I had to show in the end publicly, um, because privately we've been working to improve ourselves for the last six months. Um, since various things came out, um, but uh, but but publicly, I wanted to state that a like I own this, um, like this has happened on on my watch, and it doesn't matter that I um, well that I'm 
naive, that I'm fairly privileged as a, as a middle class, like middle-aged white guy. Um, like none of that does matter. People on my watch have, some of them have not had a great experience. Um, and that, to be honest, that that probably belittles it. Some of them have had a, have had a bad experience. Um, you know, and uh, that is, that's, that's me owning that, for one. That's what the statement was all about. Um, I'm not hiding behind a we with Gypsy Hill. I didn't want to do a we statement because mm. the truth is, it's not we, Gypsy Hill. Um, it's I, Sam McMeekin. Um, you know, I'm the boss of, of Gypsy Hill and, um, and I really set the cultural tone. And um, where things don't go right, you know, I, I'm the one who's got the power to change that. So um, first off, like my statement is about acknowledging that um, and really showing accountability for the fact that some things that have happened um, are, are, are not okay and, and they are my fault. And I'm now aware of those. Um, and when I say aware of them, what I, what I, I guess what I mean more specifically is um, that I, I know that I can... Um, change the outcome of those situations by how I behave and by the kind of rules and policies and, and codes of conduct and what have you I, that I choose to enforce or not. You know, um, like nothing, um, a lot of the stuff we've read online has been absolutely horrific in the last six to nine months. Anyone who's forensically read it all has, has read stories that if you're quite privileged, naive, probably as a white man, you, you can't even believe have, have happened. Um, but but they have. And um, so, you know, and, and they've happened because we have not done anything to restrict them from from happening. It's kind of just it's been allowed to proliferate, um, you know, specifically in the case of Gypsy Hill. I'm talking about uh, like a boys culture and um, <clears throat> and some and some levels of of what's been perceived as bullying. Um, and, you know, and if, if that's what's being perceived, then it's what's happened. It's really clear to connect those two things, right? Like mm. if someone feels like that, then, then that is how they feel. And, and it's, and, and therefore, you know, it has happened. So, um, so what do we do about that? Well, like, I, I hope that most people would agree that the first steps are, okay, I acknowledge this, I'm owning this and I am making changes that, are going to take us on a journey to being a fairer, more equitable, more inclusive place to a place of work. Um, I would hope that that will in turn affect the culture we're building uh, in a positive way, because, you know, there are there are no stones left unturned. We don't have an employee in the corner who's who's being, you know, um, marginalized for, for, for whatever reason, be it gender or race or or orientation or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, you know, that is, it's a negative cultural thing um, for the workplace overall. And so let's let's not have that. Let's replace that with good training, good awareness um, and inclusivity and equity. And I guess part of the reason I, I came public with that as opposed to continuing to make those changes privately was because I think we've got to a level now uh, in terms of awareness within people who are interested in craft beer where um, we need to show stories. We need to show more accountability as an industry and we need to show the stories where people are, are acknowledging and that they are going on a journey. Um, maybe even so that others others can, can follow that. 
um, because that will only be a, be a good thing. Assuming that we are on the right journey, um, which I, I think that we are, we've taken a significant amount of external advice um, and uh, we've thought deeply about the things that aren't working as well as they as well as they should, mm. um, and we're making best efforts we can to address those um, in, like in some kind of an order, so that we are constantly and and you know like month by month uh, getting better. Yep. Well, I mean, thanks for sharing all that. Um, I guess to pull a few things out of that, um, I guess reflections of my own things are been thinking about recently when all these things have come up and just to reflect on what you just said. Um, the, the, the thing that really stands out is when you said about, um, you know, if, if someone feels like they've been bullied, then they have been. Um, and while I, I don't disagree with that, have, having experienced that myself um, in s- several workplaces, you, you know, in one, one place I was just kind of told, you were, oh, well, not just me, we were all just sort of just told to get over it. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I totally understand that, but I guess my question is how do we differentiate as business owners between genuine wrongs and genuine feelings of being wronged versus any grievances that maybe get blown out of proportion or, and I'm not suggesting for anyone's experience that, you know, it's being blown out of proportion or anything like that with any of the posts that have been put online maybe just to clarify what I'm trying to say is like, and I'm no psychologist, but from a, from a psychological point of view, how we perceive behavior depends upon our own perceptions of those behaviors. So like, say, if you feel like you're being bullied, then you kind of are, but to, to you as a business owner, whereas you may operate within certain paradigms and parameters, you know, you, you might just be more, I don't know, forthright and brash and so on just because of you know your, your upbringing and your background and the way that you know your parents or whatever you know your struggles in life you know that that's kind of the way you are and you, you don't necessarily mean anything bad by it you just kind of that way whereas like on the flip side for someone like me for i'll take me as an example rather than trying to put this example on anyone else i'm more sensitive so maybe like i might hear something out of turn um and it triggers something within me and therefore you know I, I might feel like i'm being treated unfairly and so on but that might be more to do with my background and so on i don't know if this is making sense but it's like how, how do we sort of really differentiate between where there's been a genuine wrong and it's people's feelings without it all getting blown out of proportion and getting out of hand very quick did that make sense? Yeah. It's quite hard to articulate, yeah, yeah. particularly when you try and do it on a podcast that's public, because, <laughs> you know, it, it's very easy f- for people to take shots these days, at, at, you know, anyone with a platform, whether it's on Instagram or YouTube or a podcast like this. Um, but it's 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 quite a hard topic to talk about. So yeah. I hope that made sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And there's, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a delightfully short answer i think really nick which is which is training um you know awareness awareness training um because uh you're right some people are highly sensitive um maybe maybe too much and and other people have got a super thick skin and nothing's going to get to them Mm. um and there'll be both of those types of people in your workplace uh and therefore how do you deal with that well you know one thing that is water off of one person's back will 
you know, be extremely helpful to the other. So at the end of the day, awareness training um, is is the thing that will mean that we don't commit the the faux pas that are um, actually properly hurtful or go against inclusion, go against equality um, or against diversity. Uh, and and uh, and if we make sure that those things are eradicated from behavior of a, of a group, um, then everything else uh, that's left is has got to be okay. Um, because of course we're all from different places, we're from different cultures, we're on, from different creeds and religions and everything. We'll see the, the world in very, very different ways. But um, you know, we've just seen like the cricket world falling apart right now because the, the, the head of the cricketing empire in Yorkshire um, put racism down to banter, um, you know? And it's like, no, 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 it, no it's not. Um, you know, that's, it's from your, from your perspective. Um, and, it, and, it, and it's not uh, banter, it is actually racism. And there is training that, that people need to do in order to be able to differentiate um, those, those things. Um, now it's kind of an obvious example in that particular case, but <clears throat> that there's some of the work that we did at Gypsy Hill over the middle of the year was really helpful for this because we worked with an external HR company who came in and first off we surveyed everyone about engagement, diversity, inclusivity, and equality, um, and then we had one-on-one interviews. More than fifty percent of the company were interviewed one-on-one with this HR expert, so so she could really get a feel on where we were at. Um, and her, her conclusions really, if I was to like just summarize them, were twofold. One, there doesn't seem to be an issue right here, right now. Um, as in, like, there is not fundamentally a misogynist culture that you are either um, um, allowing to continue to proliferate. Um, however, without training, your, your, your management team, you, your middle management team, um, they're going to they're gonna make mistakes. They're going to handle a situation wrongly and, and you're going to have issues, um, you know? So, and, and that, that won't be the fault of necessarily of those individuals. Mm. It'll be because they actually don't know how to handle certain grievances. Um, and, and, and when you don't know what to do, obviously your, your gut will take over and then you're exposing things to like extreme subjectivity of who you are, where you come from, and, and hey, this is what feels natural and right to me. Um, whereas actually, you know, beginning next year, we're really embarking on, on, on training for middle management from everything, how to deal with um, complex circumstances, how to deal with grievances, like all these things are, are really important. So when we've got young guys in charge of groups of, you know, five to eight, um, making sure they're being well managed by someone who is aware uh, is is really the key so that basically bad things don't happen because um, if if you don't then the bad things could um, and that's that's not that's not our that's kind of not anyone's intention but naivety and a lack of perspective will mean that that is what happens mm. so training is training is the key education is the key um, you know nice clear. Uh, and firm management is is the key, um, and and if you can do if you can do those things, um, then you should avoid the pitfalls where marginalised communities 
uh, be they be they gender based, race based, orientation based, are are don't feel that they are at a disadvantage constantly yeah. um, because they're being well managed mm. um, and fairly managed. That's that's really good to hear, uh, particularly about the training. And I'm I'm heartened to think that um, you know the, the craft beer industry in the UK, at least you know, is, is starting to grow up when it comes to things like HR. Um, because, you know, a lot of breweries started, you know, around 10 to seven years ago. Uh, you know, there's a huge influx of breweries uh, coming into the fray around 2015. And, you know, it's, it's all well and good when you move from your kitchen, brewing a beer into a unit and so on, and you like got a little business and, and so on and so forth. But then it grows and so on. And a lot of those things that companies should have like good HR policies and so on. Um, you know, a lot of companies haven't had those. And I would imagine a lot of people listen to this podcast, even with more sizable breweries um, that are fairly young, haven't really invested as much in their HR as maybe they have in their reverse osmosis or, you know, or mm-hmm. um, uni tanks yeah, of whatever, uh, of you course. know, canning lines. And it's actually, it's, it's that, um, it's like that favor of the, um, the goose and the golden egg, isn't it? You know, if you want the golden eggs, you've got to take care of the goose um, and you've got to look after the goose. And if you don't, it'll stop laying golden eggs for you. So, I mean, I'd be interested actually to know, like, where would a a brewery find a, a company like you just mentioned, or like, you know, the, the right training materials? Um, because you're right, you know, it's 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 people need those management skills and those people skills, rather than just brewing technical skills. You've got to be able to manage people, and it's I I always find it um, curious. How, and I'm not saying for one moment that the the big breweries of of you know, are all great and so on and so forth, by which I mean like macro breweries. But, um, you know, something you can guarantee at least is that they've got quite robust HR policies in place. Um, So for for a smaller brewery, like on on sort of Gypsy Hill size or or smaller than that still, or maybe slightly bigger, you know, essentially a micro brewery, but where do you turn to get this kind of training from? Yeah, I mean, firstly, on, on the on the macro guys, I, I agree with you. They do have more robust risk management, risk assessments, and HR policies in place. It's just strategically, they often make uh, some quite bad and bloodthirsty calls. So mm. a lot of the issues there are maybe more in the boardroom than they are in the HR department. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> uh, however, uh, you know, where does someone go? I mean, there are loads of resources out there, truth be told. Um, it's a question of prioritizing your time to look at them as opposed to uh, looking at other things like the latest brewery, brewing technology or, or something. Um, you know, <clears throat> we use a company that, outsource, that we outsource all of our HR to. So we just have really a minimal amount of, of staff in our team that are actually focused on HR. Um, <clears throat> and um, we, through them, we make sure that everything we do has been uh, legally is correct, um, contractually correct in terms of um, documentation. Um, <clears throat> you know, we get if if situations occur that are uh, not easy to to fathom, like what the right thing is to do, we, we call them up and um, they advise. 
Um, and so, you know, they basically got an employment law team uh, who who are a hot dial away from us. So, mm. so we so we so we know what to do, or at least we know what advice, how to get advice, and how to deal with the situation. But that's all to do more with <clears throat> like legal HR in terms of you know contracts and and and, and things like that. Um, we we have an employee assistance program through them as well. So if you are a victim of of something at, at the workplace, whether that's bullying, misogyny, or, or, or anything like that, um, you know, you can call and you can get advice anonymously from that line. That's that's certainly a nice thing that an employer should be able to offer employees because you know, what where can one go um, if a small company's got no HR department and there's really only two people, your line manager, assuming your line manager's not the founder or the CEO. Or the, or the or the founder CEO, and and oftentimes those people are quite intimidating, and you might not feel that someone can go to them. Um, so you go to colleagues, um, <clears throat> and, and colleagues, you know, they can be a good source of, of moral support, but they they might not necessarily be able to help your your case, right? Um, yeah. So it's to have a like an anonymous third party sort of phone dial where you can go, and and get real advice as to what you what you should do is, is really helpful as well. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, I go back to actually like HR does have an important role as you grow for sure. Um, you know, and, and it needs to get its stuff right. The clarity of contracts, the clarity of just so that employees know where they stand, that stuff's really important, but actually what's going to avoid issues happening in the workplace, like bullying or what have you is, is about training. Um, which HR can own that. But the truth is, like, the training regime that we're putting in place, I mean, I- I'm owning that. Um, like, I've got I've got support from, from a team member to to help get through this process. Um, but, like, it's it's so important that it's really, it's really my thing that I'm looking at. And I think you'd really have to be a very big company um, or at least two, three, four times our size, 100-plus employees for, for that to be delegated down if there was a real problem right? mm. um you know i mean it goes it goes all the way to the top if you've got if you've got employee issues where people are claiming there's toxic work work cultures like you know, that's that is that's got to be front and center in the ceo's mind um as a, as the thing to fix sooner than anything else so um so really you know the training is it is that um and that goes so it's much much broader than just good hr yeah um yeah. What do you think some of the telltale signs are that things might have gotten off the rails slightly with employee-employer uh, relationship? And how, how do you think these things can be mended and rectified? Um, may, maybe not from a training perspective, but more from a pers- person-to-person perspective. I mean, I, I should say, Nick, like I'm really, I, I'm, I'm learning myself, right? I'm on a journey too, and I'm, I'm not an oracle on this by any means, indeed. I'm the one who's had to recently own up to uh, not doing this well. Mm. So, um, so please bear that in mind, yep. everybody. When when I give answers to this kind of these kind of questions, but um, you know, things that are likely to result in um, a toxic workplace workplace culture are extremely fast growth. Um, you know, lots and lots of hiring without sufficient levels of um, uh, culture being instilled uh will result in in uh in, in workplace situations 
um, a really broad geography will result in a lack of control um, of, of that culture, a lack of control of management, and therefore more likely that some issues uh, come out. Mm. Um, <clears throat> a lack of professional managers anywhere in the business. Um, you know, and that probably more applies to the smaller end of companies versus the larger end, because I doubt you're going to end up being a large company unless you've got some real professional executives in there. Yeah. Um, but if, if there's not, then you're probably going to run into issues because that's just a training thing. It's kind of just inevitable. Um, and then um, uh, the, the wrong governance structure is for sure going to land you in issues. I mean, you know, I've, I've talked to some people since... Um, I made our statement and, 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 and a lot of people since this stuff, you know, coming out and uh, some of the things I end up doing actually is just, is just reviewing the governance structure that's there. Like who's on the board? Um, what role does the board play with regards to the executive team and CEO? Um, how many people is the CEO managing? Um, too few, too many, uh, you know, how many structure, how many levels of management are there? Um, you know, and, and, and all of those things, like that there is a way that sort of works, or at least like there's a there's a best practice, let's say, right? Mm. And uh, like if you're way off best practice, then it's not to say that something's gone wrong or going to go wrong, but it's just more likely. Just coming off the back of that, so if generally speaking, it's the it's the founder or the founders uh this you know that, that set the the tone for the the work culture and what the business is about like you know i mean i can't imagine for 99 percent of people right are decent people you know and they, they set up a business and they you know they want to be creative they want to you know some people want to change the world or whatever um you know and, and create an aspiring workplace to to work in you know and what what would you say some of the like everyday things are that chip away at that um you know because obviously like in, in the case of gypsy hill obviously like you know like um you, you know the, the the culture's coming from you yourself obviously i don't know you very well i've spoke to you briefly once before um but you, you know you seem like a really sound guy you know and like you were saying before like you know, you've got family and stuff and like you kind of having that family feel and dynamic to it and it's but you're in a position where obviously you put out a public statement saying um, I feel like I've messed up in these areas and here's what I'm doing and we're doing to rectify it. Um, so somewhere down the line, obviously there are people that have felt hurt or wronged or whatever terminology or you want to put to it or however they felt, you know, they felt what they felt, um, which probably wasn't in line with the kind of culture that you've wanted to create. So I guess where I'm coming from is a little bit like I, I like I'll give you an example. Like I I know one employer who owns a small company, you know, really really sound guy, but was in a lot of debt, and that you know, and it was just getting into more and more debt, and then that his anxiety ended up strangulating his employees because he was trying to pivot every two minutes with ideas and what we're going to do next and just basically to work himself out of a hole. And then a lot of the, those employees left because it was like, I can't be dealing with this. You know, I don't like this culture. He, he's not a bad person So on social media. You know, if it was all in social media, you know, everyone starts throwing the rocks and all the rest of it. 
um, because you you see a very 1D flat version of that. So, like, I guess for you personally, I guess you can only speak from your experience. Like, where would you feel like maybe how and where the the ideal culture sort of maybe broke down a little bit? Yeah. No, I mean, look, it's it's really easy to have ideals. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, most people when they start a business have got a vision for what they want it to be and what it, what they want it to stand for and how they want it to change the world or change their neighbourhood, you know, or community or, or whatever. It doesn't matter how big the aspirations are. You, you probably want it to do good things and maybe make a bit of money along the way. Um, and it's just... Um, like that will fall down um, if it's not really carefully looked after um, and focused on and and prioritized. So, you know, I mean, it's tough to answer. Like the little things, the the little things are everywhere. The little things happen, you know, every day. Mm. Um, What values have you got as a company and how do you reinforce those like every day? because if it's not obvious, uh, if, if not, if every person in the company can't really list off your values, then um, and doesn't know what it means to live by those values, then actually they're probably not going to live by those values. Um, just because I like that, that's literally what's going to happen. So, so that's fine, and that that means there's actually not one thing binding everyone together mm. um, from a values perspective, anyway, right? Which in of itself is also maybe fine, but that's that's probably the that's the start. Um, you know, if we don't have a sort of agreed way that we all should behave, and I'm not talking like robotic style, you know, like we all need to literally think and work the same way, but it there are some values that we need to agree to, and then there are some values that once you have those, you should make it very clear what it means to live them. So like a small thing that, that we've been doing the last month at Gypsy Hill is for a start being very clear about what our values are. And I think if we were to survey everybody now about what our values are, we might get, <clears throat> let's say 30, 40% of people who are clear on them, mm. um, which might sound low because I'll be honest, I want 90%, but I'm just going to be real with you. It's probably 30 to 40, but that's up from zero. Um, you know, and, uh, and so one of the ways, well, how we've got that to 30, 40 is every day we just shout out people in our, in our team slacks, um, people are nominated who, who've done something that's consistent with our values. And that's not to say like, it's just, they've done a good bit of work because people do good work all the time. Yeah. Um, but it's actually like, you know, if team is one of your values, then acting in a way that has particularly gone above and beyond the team, um, that's a shout out. Hey, you know, so-and-so, like, you nailed it. Thanks for being an amazing teammate. Um, you know, and the whole company's seen that, um, and that makes the person who did it feel good, and it makes the person who, the people who who haven't done it yet think, huh, that's, that's great. Like, I, I would like that. I'd like that recognition. Um, and so you begin to perpetuate those kind of values. And, um, you know, and, and once you get that wheel moving and it gets a bit of momentum, then, then really powerful things can happen. Um, 
you know, because the flip side is we're all behaving in a values void where we don't know what's binding us together. Nothing is really um, like rewarded in terms of behaviorally speaking, at least, right? Mm. Um, it's only the, the outperformers who get the slaps on the back um, because they're the ones who've nailed the sale or nailed the campaign or nailed the brew, you know, or something. And, and, it, and you lose that, that sense of, of team maybe a bit more and you have, you know, ego and, and that kind of stuff. So like, you know, they are the things that reinforce a non-toxic workplace and a positive culture that they're everywhere. Um, and I definitely think that one of the things I have not done well is to not call out the things that, um, that are clearly against, um, values. Uh, and to be honest with you, like that was before we had a really clear set of values, but like we had them in us, or at least we had them in me. I, I know what expectations I had of people. Mm. Um, and the difference is that when people let you down from those expectations, if you don't call that out, um, then not only have you like not corrected someone, you've actually said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. What you've just done is fine. Um, and you know, the next person who does it, it'll also be fine. Whereas if you, if you stamp on it and say, Hey, that's not okay. And that's not how we behave. Um, even if you don't have a clear set of values, you know, then, then, then at least that's a start of people will see that and think, Oh, okay. So we don't behave like that. Um, and you know, so I'm going to modify how I behave because I don't want to be called out like that publicly in front of people. Um, I want to, you know, I want to, be, be shouted out for the, for the right reasons mm. and, um, and be a part of a, of a strong team with a good culture. So it's, I mean, it's a, it's a really tricky one and I'm, I'm on a journey learning how to improve all of this. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, an, an, an internal communications program is, is really important. But I mean, to be clear, like, you know, Nick, we're for the first time now sort of more than 40 people at Gypsy Hill. Um, you know, we were only 20 uh, in, in 2019 um and to be clear like most of that growth has actually been this year um and uh we haven't necessarily needed an internal comms but uh, like um process for how we've done things before um but you know what? we need it now um even though we're only 40 and it might be overkill but i don't care anymore i want overkill <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's it's that's another thing that's important so people know where they stand and they've been well communicated to and they feel that they can also be heard and communicate themselves, um, then you know you've like you've eradicated fear of speaking up in the workplace. Yeah, and that's that's a huge one. Yeah, um, I mean we have to remember like um, you know for, for all the the beer side of it, you know obviously we we sort of like the brewing process and like the beers and and you know nerd out and geek out over them. Like at the end of the day, these are places where people go to work. And their their companies and and their collections of people working together, you know. Hear me out. I'm running a beer related podcast. Um, I love beer. You know, I I work in the beer industry and so on. So I'm what I'm about to say. I'm coming at it from that angle. But at the end of the day, at your funeral, nine out of ten of the comments will be about what kind of person you were, you know, to work with or to, you know, friend or whatever, rather than like, oh, you know once Nick brewed this like imperial stout with peanuts and it was amazing. Oh, and then another time he did this like double IPA with Sabro, which was awesome. Do you, do you know what I mean? 
And it's, it's so, there's a lot of talk about, you know, beer out there and it's right that we do talk about it. But I think, you know, the, the kind of stuff you're saying and the journey you're on, I think it's, it's a good journey to be on. I think that um, to be able to put those values in place or to communicate those values and to be, to, to be mindful enough to, um, and have enough self-awareness to know um, maybe when you've overstepped the mark or um, where, you know, you, maybe you should have said something when you didn't and so on. Like, you know, let's say a colleague makes a, a sexist comment and ra- rather than being all polite in English and thinking, oh, no, I shouldn't say anything. They'll get offended if I pull them up on it. You know, thinking, no, I'm not standing for that, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I, I think there needs to be more conversations like this one. And I guess off the back of that, and um, in light of the whole McKellar thing as well, with the um, you know the the breweries on there that um, we're going to go to what the 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 beer celebration in Copenhagen. Yeah, that's the one. Like, yeah. um, you know, the the the, um, the the breweries on you know who who put the statement out um, saying that they were going to try and get McKellar in a room separate from that event and hold them to account and so on you know got absolutely slammed on on social media and at first i thought they were doing a good thing and i I, on reflection i was like well if you kind of self-appointing yourself to do that and maybe that's not the best thing but you know they they did say you know we we were trying you know like i guess when it comes down to everything we're talking about now and and how it because it seems to play itself out a lot on social media like you've obviously been doing the work behind closed doors and the, the work is getting done. But um, it's almost like a public court, almost, it feels like, with social media. Like, how much of a role and impact do you think social media has on breweries to either make amends or to publicly confess, you know, or whatever? Like, yeah. do, do, you, do you think it's important that we still, you know, do that? Because, like, the, the thing that I, I initially took from, from the McKellar thing with the breweries, like, Dea and North and some of the others was like, well, at least they're trying to have a face-to-face conversation and it might not have been perfect the way they went about it and so on. And again, I'll probably get slammed for even saying that, but social media is not the forum for it, I don't think, to make a real impact. You've got to kind of look at the white in someone's eyes and and talk to them but obviously it's a bit harder if you don't have that relationship you know if, if you've been bullied in a workplace social media is your voice so we, it's like we've got this tension between those two things like how, how would you navigate all that so i'm throwing in like really loaded questions aren't i <laughs> yeah and i i should i should just say again i'm, I'm not an expert in this in this stuff Nick. um you know and I, I'm, I'm learning uh every day about it so you know, that as a, as a caveat to it. But I mean, <clears throat> a lot of the stuff that has that's happened on social media is because people are not being heard properly mm. in, in their own forums. Um, and, and really, I think that a lot of the stuff that I have seen on social media is simply because going, going direct to your line manager, your HR rep, if you've got one, your, your ultimate MD or CEO, um, has yielded nothing. Um, so frustration boils over from the people who have been marginalized um, into being like, well, I'm getting nowhere, you know, down my proper routes. So, so I'm sharing here. Um, and, 
uh, I think that's I think that's fine <clears throat> because because there is nothing else. Um, and not not only do I think it's fine, but it is it's shining a spotlight um, on that very structure that has essentially ignored and turned away from these issues um, before. Uh, and saying, so now what? You know, you, you sort of, I mean, I, I'm trying to not be too extreme about things, <laughs> but when, when I came to you, you didn't listen. And so now I'm here and, and, and everyone's watching. So what do, you, what do you think now type thing? Mm. And, um, and you know what? Like, you, you've got to respect that because actually the reason it's, it's bubbled over into that world quite so much is because management in, in, in whichever, I'm not talking about any company in, in particular, but where there have been issues is because management have not dealt with them properly. Um, you know, and if that's the case, you know, it's, it's going to happen. Yeah. And, and it is ugly. <laughs> it, it, it's, and it is, um, but it's honestly, it's also, I feel like it's probably necessary Yeah. because, um, you know, it's highly disruptive. It is, um, you know, it really puts heat and pressure on those who previously didn't do anything when people came to them. Um, and I, I, what I'm, the examples I'm giving are not relevant to all stories that have come out on social media recently. Yeah? Like, I'm talking really about the times when brewery employees have had issues, have gone to management, have not been heard, have not been cared for or looked after and they've had to leave or suffer and uh and and as a result uh social media is the forum where they are they have recently you know with starting with Brienne all those months ago been been voicing it and um that's valid yeah it's a brave thing to do, you know, to go out, to go on social media and, and to call someone out. And, you know, as, as I said earlier, I've, I've had a couple of bad experiences. One when I was much younger, but one relatively more recently. It's hard when you go through something like that to, particularly when you, you try and bring it up with, um, you know, the, the leader of the organization or the, the, you know, the CEO, whoever it is. And, you know, you, you, you're either not heard or worse, you, you know, it's, Gaslitting is is that is that the right word? Gaslitting, gaslighting the the past tense the past tense of gaslighting, gaslitting um, into believing that you're the one who's at fault. I I never spoke out really publicly about it. Yeah, it, 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 there's no easy answers to any of it, and I, I think I know you keep saying um, how. You know, you, you're not an expert and stuff. I don't. I don't think anyone is, and we, we've all got the experiences we have. And I just want to, want to say a massive thank you for sh- sharing yours. Um, you know, and the, and the journey you're on, because uh, you know, um, what what you've learned so far, you know, will be wisdom to somebody else who's on that taking that journey themselves to make their company and make make themselves, you know, better. Um, yeah, I mean, I would I, I would probably you know add on the it's really important that when people do um, show action and show that they are on a journey that is um, that's going in the right direction, that that is, um, I mean, recognize is probably the wrong word, but it's like, you know, 
that's a really great outcome. Mm. Like that should be the outcome that all the, um, in this case, I guess, social media pressure uh, is, is looking for. They, they should be looking for the people who are there, assuming what they've done isn't so abhorrent that they actually need to just step down. Mm. But they, they should be looking for people to, to, to change in a way that's relevant to the situation they're in. Um, and, uh, and if, and if they can show that they're, that they're going on the right journey, um, then, then that's, that's really what, what victory looks like. Um, you know, it's, it's not a case of just, um, pursuing until, until someone has, has burned to the ground, actually, it, it should be more about, um, putting a spotlight on a, on a situation or on a company or on a set of circumstances or whatever until, um, until acknowledgement and accountability has happened. Mm. And then, um, and then until like a journey has, is, is being embarked on to, to change. Um, <clears throat> because that's but not to repeat myself, but that's all victory is in all this. Yeah. Um, you know, improvement is, is victory. Yeah. Um, because what we really want is 10 years time to look back and actually see what's happened this year as an incredible watershed for awareness and management of, of the small companies like ours. Mm. Um, you know, and, and if we can look back and be like, God, like loads of people started journeys back in 2021, 2022. And, uh, and 10 years later, those journeys have kept on going. They've compounded and, and look where we are now. What a, what a, what a great, um, equal, diverse sector we've we've got. And by the way, the beers are even better. Yeah. Um, you know, that's. I think that's 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 what the goal should be. Mm. Um, and um, it's it's just important to recognise the baby steps towards that goal, um, <clears throat> because it's it, it's not easy, but it is also the responsibility of those in charge to make sure that journey is happening. Yep. So I just want to pivot a little bit um, just just before we round off to talk about um, you, you mentioned earlier about having four kids and and uh, your co-founder having three kids and and being very much a brewery where there's family type thing because I, I think one of my observations of the beer scene again here in the UK is that um, you know, there's a, and I, I probably see this maybe more in the sort of like circles I, I, I move in. Not, not so much with brewers, but some of the more sort of media type or journalist types and so on. Is that um, I find it really hard because like there, the, you know, I'll, I'll gone maybe I'll go on Instagram and I know Instagram's kind of like highlights real and stuff, but like there'll be like people out at um, visiting different brewery tap rooms and involved in different events and so on. And they, they don't have kids, you know, similar age to me or maybe even a bit older. Whereas when you've got kids, it's kind of much harder to get involved in that kind of thing and, and so on. And then, um, I found when I was, um, running the Sheffield Brewery Company, you know, as the head brewer there, um, it just, you know, really difficult you know to, to have that balance of like you know pushing my kids on the swings in the park and then getting a phone call being all like oh you know this keg's not dispensing and there's loads of um people in the tap room and and so on and like having to sort of like drive the kids down there while i sort that out like so like how, how just from your own experience of um being in the brewing industry and and running a brewery as a 
a parent of, uh, of four kids. Like, how, how have you found that and how have you managed to sort of negotiate that? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I would I would pull it back from the brewing industry and just, you know, say, you know, being running running your own small business mm. and um and and building a family is a is a super difficult thing to do. Yep. It's a hell of an undertaking. And there are, you know, there are amazing bits of it and there are um sacrifices and compromises you have to make all over the place. So, you know, <clears throat> life's a lot like that, involves a lot of compromise. And I guess you just a bit have to be at peace with the compromises that you do make um because you're probably making them for the right reason so uh you know it's it's not easy at all um but you know it's you, you need to build your life around around what you sort of wanted to be um so yeah you need to make choices um i mean for us at gypsy hill you know w- one of the things that was important to us from the start was employee ownership um <clears throat> we knew we were like family men going into it charlie and i were were honest about the fact that we were probably going to be having a number of kids in the coming years if all worked out well um you know and we 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 liked the idea that we were you know we we were wholly owned by by us um and we we knew that a really important way to share the the struggle of building this business um would would be through employee ownership and it it took us you know six years and, and probably COVID put it in place. Um, COVID was kind of the kick up the arse whereby mm. we actually, you know, we couldn't afford to pay people bonuses. We could barely afford to give people a raise. Indeed, we all took a 20% pay cut for, for the first couple of months of the pandemic through through fear and through cash preservation, um, you know, and, and everyone stood by that and, uh, and, and went for it. <clears throat> and it was amazing, but never did a period like that and, and and like the last 18 months make it more clear to us that you know every single person at gypsy hill deserves to have a small stake in the business yep um you know and that's down to all of our drivers warehouse operatives you know and up through you know our most senior managers um <clears throat> and i i'm really happy with how that's gone um you know everyone does talk about it with 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 pride as something that we do with i believe was one of the only breweries in the country that, that does that um i'm sure others will will join in and that's that's fantastic um but you know to to, to share that meaningfully with people so that they are you know their efforts every day are connected to a you know an ownership that they have in the business mm. and therefore you know a, a future of where the business is going is is probably you know one of the most meaningful ways you can you can keep people aligned and motivated and excited engaged and and all that that kind of thing um which is which is vital for a healthy you know thriving you know workplace culture and and all that all that stuff yeah so so yeah we're we're really happy that we've put it in place um it's it's gone well and honestly i'm just more excited to keep educating everyone about what it all means yeah. um because it's such a new thing and it's quite an uncommon thing and and so a lot of people to be honest still don't even know what it means um you know like tangibly uh so so we want we need to do better at, at communicating with everyone and working with everyone so that it's so that we so that we've got it because um because it, it is a big deal it does mean a lot it is exciting and it's something that is really meaningful to the to the founders so um so yeah, that's 
That's great. And that was at the beginning when we were talking about, you know, the fact that there is sort of a lot of family baked into the founding theme of this of the company. I guess that ethos is is has been like manifested in the form of this employee ownership because that is um it's probably one of the large reasons why we've driven it um that way. Yeah. Because we we've had to compromise in our lives and we rely we rely so much on the dedicated work of everyone who who works for Gypsy Hill. Um, you know, because because I'm out the door, you know, because I need to get to bath time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so if someone's staying late um because something's happened, you know, you know, it, thank you. And and you know, and and they the best thank you possible is to invite them on the on the journey. Yeah, I guess um ju- just to end the podcast here really, I guess it's it ultimately comes down to like as you say, va- values and ethos. And, um, you know, all of it, you know, and, and often, um, you know, it, that stems from within, it's, well, it starts within and sort of um, heads outwards from there. Um, so, yeah, I just want to say a massive thanks for, for being on the podcast, Sam, and for, um, you know, sh- sharing your journey so far with, with and, and, and all your thoughts on that, really. And, um, you know, I, I really hope that our listeners, they're, takeaway is i guess my takeaway just from this conversation is you know think thinking about um what, what's my where are my values and am i putting first things first and I, I know not always my wife will testify to this after a conversation we had just this uh, evening that i'm not always putting first things first and actually i, I need to you know um and I, I hope the listeners after the back of this conversation will be able to think well you know what are my values and um how can i instill those so um yeah thanks for being on the show how, how can people find out about your beers and where can they get them from and pay you a visit yeah for sure well we're nestled down in south london just by crystal palace um gypsy hill does actually have its own train station which is exciting so you can get to us um fairly easily we've got a, a buzzing tap room that's open wednesday to uh to sunday um which is fun so so that's that, that's a lovely way the way we prefer everyone sort of meets us is by is by coming for a visit um but otherwise obviously we've got a website gypsyhillbrew.com um that's gypsy with an i which will probably haunt me until uh until my deathbed <laughs> <laughs> um but uh that's a lovely place to read about our story and uh, just to get a feel for what we're about and um and obviously you can you can get get some of our beers on it and uh ah, instagram too gypsy hill brew happy days so, also with an eye also with an eye <laughs> well it's that time again at the bar for another week of the hot four podcast don't forget to subscribe to the show on itunes spotify and all other good platforms be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. Cheers.